Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Heather Betridge, Associate Vice President of Practice Management Services at the Texas Medical Association, and this is Hot Topics with Amanda Hill. It can be overwhelming trying to figure out the terms of contracts like non-compete clauses, and it can be an expensive learning experience when you get into a bad agreement. While we can't go back to medical school and residency and include contracting terms in your curriculum and training, but TMA can introduce you to experts like Amanda Hill. Amanda is a speaker, author, and experienced healthcare lawyer serving Texas physicians. Amanda, welcome back. Thanks. Happy to be back. Amanda, today we are talking specifically about non-competes. Everyone's favorite topic, right? Oh my gosh, not everyone's favorite topic, but something I love to talk about. And so I would love to open with a couple of stories. I get so many non-compete questions from doctors. A lot of non-compete battles, especially in the areas for some reason of pain management, you know, a lot of areas that It's really important to keep your patients. Um, A lot of quick volume type practices have strong non-competes. I had a doctor client one time. Well, this happens actually quite frequently, but in this particular case, his contract non-compete wrapped around 30 miles of every one of his practice locations, right? So on the face, it's like, well, 30 miles. Okay. That's defensible two years. Okay. But then 
you look at it and it's like, wait a minute, this is like a national company. They have practices all over the United States. I mean, that doesn't even make sense that it would wrap around every single location. And that basically blocked him from, you know, every major city. He was like stuck in, you know, what, rural Pennsylvania or the, the farms of Ohio. I mean, where is he going to work? So obviously we got him out of that non-compete and I was able to negotiate that issue. But you have to be really careful about the specific language of these contracts. Another time, um, a doctor was locked out of 50 miles, which, by the way, is just a little too broad anyway, but it was 50 miles from three different practice locations. And here's the problem. One of the so A, we have an issue with 50 miles being too big. But the second thing is once a quarter, so that's four times a year, he would go to this remote practice location way down south and do one clinic a month just as a service to help with this outreach. And of course, because he did four times a year at this one clinic, the non-compete now wrapped around that location because the way it was written, it said, you know, around every location where you've ever provided services. So those are the sticky issues that I get into. And I, I hear doctors say, well, that shouldn't matter, right? Or, well, that shouldn't count, right? And I say, well, unfortunately, the way it's written, yeah, it does. So these things I worry about at night. So <laughs> just so you know, so yes, non-compete battles come up all the time and they can be very fact specific. Wow, those are so extreme. Surely that's not the norm, right? Do you get a lot of non-compete questions? I do, I do. And probably the most common theme is where does the non-compete wrap around, right? So which location are we talking about? Every location, the where you practice the majority of the time, or what does that even mean? So oftentimes I try to tell the doctor, try to pick the place that you work the most. And let's use a percentage to make it more clear. For example, this non-compete is going to wrap around the clinic or hospital or whatever facility you work over 75% of the time. So I avoid that problem I mentioned earlier, where if you go around somewhere, you know, once a month or here and there, little things, it's not going to attack your non-compete. So where do you spend over 75% of your time? That is where you need to be focused. And remember, this is key. It's not a mileage. You don't look it up on Google and look at driving directions and see how many miles it is. It's as the crow flies, which means you put your finger on the location of where you work. And then you draw a straight line, you know, whatever the mileage is, let's say 20 miles, you draw a straight line, 20 miles out, and then you draw a little radius, a circle around that location. That is the prohibited area. So that's really what the granular level that we get into when we're looking at non-competes, specifically where, because you're working, you're in your practice, you're charting, you're seeing patients, you're trying to get to happy hour on Friday. The last thing you want to think about is your non-compete at some weird future date of when you quit this job. But trust me, the day that day comes when you do need to leave your practice, it'll be the first priority is what does the non-compete say? Is it clear? And can I abide by it? So you can get another job that's outside that range and you can sleep at night. Do you find that all non-competes are really pretty much the same? You know, strangely, they're not. They're all over the map. I, I've seen some that are two miles from a practice. I've seen some that are 50 miles. I've seen one year, two year, around every location, around one location. It is 
probably the most variable provision that I see in employment contracts. They're so very different. And so one doesn't mean all, right? If you if they see two years and 10 miles, they think, oh, that's reasonable, but they don't look at the details, right? 10 miles around what? And also what does it prohibit you within that area? Sometimes they're not as bad as you think, right? For example, if you're a hospitalist and there's a 20 mile radius around the hospital that you work, except there's an exception for outpatient practice. So maybe there's an exception for the VA or teaching. Well, that provides you a lot of opportunities. You can do outpatient practice for a year and then go back. So I always love to include carve outs so that doctors have another avenue during that year of prohibited work that they can do something else and make a living. So they don't have to travel 30 miles away. And that's something that you have to know to put in there. You have to know to ask. Um, so those are exceptions that I oftentimes advise when you have a non-compete where the other party's not really willing to budge. This is a great little informational nugget. Amanda, what would you say is the most reasonable non-compete that is enforceable in this state, in Texas? Well, it's very fact-specific, um, obviously, because let's say you have a 50 mile restriction in the middle of Houston. That's pretty, that's too broad and it's wildly inappropriate because it kicks you out of the entire city, right? You're, you're having to go move your entire family to a whole another town just to work. But let's say you're in remote West Texas and there's a 50 mile restriction. Who cares, right? I mean, who, there's no town within 50 miles. So yeah, it kicks you out of this one little town in West Texas but you get, you know, so if it's 40 miles or 30 miles or 20 miles, you're still just sitting in a you know, field full of cows. So it doesn't really matter. So remember when I said, pick your battles in another podcast episode, this is an area where you pick your battles. If you're working in a small town somewhere in a remote area, and it has a 50 or 60 mile range, and yet there's nothing within 50 and 60 miles, then don't argue to lower it because it doesn't matter. You know, so really what matters is when you're in a metropolitan area like Houston or Dallas, and you really need to make sure that your kids can stay in the same school, you know, that you can still stay in that area. There's got to be somewhere that you can work. And that's when you really get down to the nitty gritty. And the kicker in Texas, two words, time and scope. So is the time reasonable, meaning one year is usually the norm, two years is okay, three years is getting too much. Anything above two years is really too long to bind a doctor. But let's just say between one and two years. And then the second one is scope. What is the scope of this restriction, right? Is it five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles? So you have to make sure that those two things, the time and the scope are both very reasonable. So you say time and scope are most considerable. Is this the main advice you give physicians in the area of non-competes? Well, you have to look at it like a puzzle. First of all, as the crow flies, as I said, is really important. Make sure you know that circle, but also think about what you're actually going to be doing after you leave this job. Do you only have, are you a one trick pony? You just do this one thing and that's all you can do. Um, or are there other things you might be able to do that doesn't violate that non-compete and also wouldn't be in competition with your employer. You have to think like your employer. That's really the, the, a good piece of advice because is it going to impact your employer's you know, path of patients? Is it gonna be in competition with them? If it's not in competition with them, oftentimes the employer doesn't care. 
you know, so what that you go teach? So what that you work at the VA? We don't care. Those aren't our patients. So what that you go work at an FQHC when maybe we're a for-profit, you know, entity that doesn't even accept Medicare, right? Why would they care? So some of it is just think like your employer and try to think what is something that my employer would not feel is threatening. That is something that you might want to argue for as, you know, an out of your non-compete. Yes, good point. Now, how is Texas different from other states as as far as non-competes are concerned? Well, this one comes up a lot. So Texas is different in that by statute, there are certain things that a Texas non-compete has to have in them. And if they don't have those specific provisions in there, the thing literally falls apart. And I try to explain that. And I have you know, spoiler alert, I've seen some huge hospital systems that maybe are using an outdated contract, or maybe they forgot to get it updated, or maybe they're using counsel from Nashville or something that they don't have a Texas lawyer look at it, and they forget these provisions. So it's like a juicy piece of steak, right? When I get a doctor give sends me a non-compete and it does not have these elements, I am filled with glee because it means that the non-compete is not enforceable. And I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, don't mention this. But they forgot to include these Texas state elements. So the thing's going to fall apart. So sign away. It doesn't matter because it's not enforceable and everyone gets a kick out of that. But yes, in Texas, if you don't have the specific state law, uh, you know, regulatory points in the non-compete and it's not in the body of the contract, it falls apart. Sometimes in the world of law, you go to a judge and you argue, especially in the contract world, well, can you reform this? You know, the parties obviously intended for this to happen, you know, ask the judge to sort of change it to where it does make sense. That's not what happens in non-compete world. If it doesn't have the required elements, it's literally void. It falls apart. The judge is not going to reform it to make it enforceable. So I think it's really important for doctors to know that. And that's why it's important for you to have a Texas attorney to look at this non-compete to make sure those elements are there. And what are some of those things that are specific to Texas? So it's all in the Texas Business and Commerce Code. It's Section 1550, if you want to nerd out and read all about it online. Uh, But the very first one is that you can't deny a provider a list of his patients that he or she has seen in the last year right before termination. So, But it doesn't have to be in some special format, whatever format the practice keeps them in. But yes, you have to be able to provide that list of patients to the doctor. The second one is that the group must provide access to the medical records of the doctor's patients upon their authorization. Meaning if the the patients want to follow the doctor and they say, here's my authorization, give me my records or transfer my records to the new doctor, the group has to do that. That's a requirement. The last one, well, there's two more. The next one is that a doctor must be able to provide continuing care and treatment for the patients during a course of an illness. So it's one of those things where you're in the middle of treating someone, you're in the middle of the course, you can't say, oh, boop, I'm done, stop, I'm terminated, or I'm gone, and I can't you know, have any more communication with you. It's a relationship. A doctor and a patient have to be able to work through that acute illness. So that is specific language that has to be in there. And the next one is a buyout. A buyout is basically an amount of money where you pay and then the non-compete doesn't apply. Let's discuss that buyout. What's that number usually look like? So let's say it's 200,000 
And that's the buyout amount. And the non-compete is really onerous and it would kick me out of most of Houston and it's really not worded correctly and I'm really worried about it. But if I pay 200,000, then the buyout is meaningless and I can go practice wherever I want. So the big kicker with the buyout is the amount. You know, is it 50,000 that you could maybe go pay or is it something that's absolutely unreasonable, right? If it's $2 million, you're not gonna pay that for a buyout, nobody is. I will give you a little advice that most of my clients don't ever pay a buyout. I mean, to be fair, it's a lot of money. Um, it's usually about one year of your salary. And so, you know, it, it's not something that doctors really want to go shell out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get out of a buyout. It's better to negotiate the buyout on the front end than have to pay it and then void the, you know, non-compete altogether. A good piece of advice for doctors, focus on the time and the distance requirement, not the buyout amount so much. Yes, it might be a year of collections, which is insane and it's way too much. But to be honest, you're probably not going to pay it even if it's 150000 So focus on the things that you can really get out of, you know, the distance around your practice where you practice 75% of your time, make sure it's one year, not two. Those things are going to be more helpful for you than to spend a ton of time negotiating the buyout amount. So let's switch gears here for a bit. What happens in a typical non-compete dispute? How does that fall out in reality, in practice? That's a good question. I get that from doctors a lot. Like, hey, are they really going to go after me? And how does that even work? So let's say that you're a medical practice. Let's say you've got two or three doctors, a couple of mid-levels. You have a really reasonable non-compete. And then let's say it's 10 miles for two years. That's a very common non-compete, 10 miles, and you have maybe two practice locations. That's totally reasonable, 10 miles around each practice for 10, for two years. Well, a doctor just blazingly leaves your group, takes all of the patients, sets up shop 2.5 miles away, right? I mean, clearly patients are going to follow him, and that's in flagrant disregard of the non-compete. Well, in that case, the group has a choice. Do they want to just say, oh, well, we have enough to go around. We don't care. Or do they want to go after the doctor for violating the non-compete? And if they do, they have to sue him for breach of, well, they can talk to him first, you know, indicate their, what they're thinking of doing and basically say, you have to pay the buyout amount, which is in the contract, or we'll sue you and file an injunction against you. And you can't be practicing within this range. And that happens. Okay. It happens. So if you're the doctor, like, oh, yeah, right, what are you going to do? Then the group will say, well, we're going to get issue a demand for the buyout amount within a certain number of days, which is usually outlined in the contract. And if you don't pay it, which they won't, then we issue a, you know injunction against you and basically prohibit you from working. And you have this contract as proof. So that usually gets doctors listening to say, oh, wait, you're actually going to come after me legally for this. And that's going to really cause me a lot of legal fees and I have to defend myself. So that's usually how it turns out. And at that point, 60 to 75% of the time, it's usually resolved because the doctor that go practices within two miles realizes that the group is serious. They're going to go after him. He can't open up shop right next door. And that usually resolves the problem. Now, if you're the doctor, let's say that you have a three-year non-compete. That's really, really long and probably not enforceable. And let's say it's 45 miles around like all these different practice locations. I mean, something that's just unworkable, but maybe you just didn't 
hear this podcast until too late, totally understand. And so you went ahead and signed it. And so you're dealing with it. You know, it's already in writing. So here you have this unreasonable non-compete and you call me and you're like, look, I'm, I'm done with this job now. I, I don't know what to do. Do I go drive to Temple, Texas or some way off place when I have small children um, for three solid years? That seems really unreasonable. Or do I find a job as far away as I possibly can that's sort of within this mileage range that is more reasonable? And a lot of times it is just taking the risk. Like I'll tell the doctor, um, if you find a job that's 30 miles or over 30 miles away, then, you know, it's less likely that it's going to be uh, argued as much as if it was two or three miles away, right? As I said before, think like your employer. Is a, is a pain management patient, for example, really going to travel 30 miles away to see his, his or her doctor when there's one right there in the area that the patient lives? Probably not. So it's, you know, try to get far enough away so you can make a valid argument to your employer. Like, look, no one's going to drive that far. I'm not stealing your patients. I'm setting up, you know, in that particular area, any argument works, right? They have a whole different hospital system, or it's a whole different, you know, area of patients, or it's a whole different subset of interests. Try to make it look to the employer. Like your non-compete of 45 miles was way unreasonable. So I found something that is more reasonable that I think I can work in that still protects your interest, but it's, I have to get a job. I can argue that well. Judges in Texas do not like to prohibit doctors from practicing their craft. It has to be so narrow and so reasonable that makes sense. Amanda, this has been such great information. It's always great to have you. You're such a wealth of of knowledge and, and a breath of fresh air. How can physicians learn more about all of this that we talked about today? Well, email me. Really feel free to reach out. I will provide a free summary of this podcast episode. If you go to my website, hillhealthlaw.com, fill out the contact form. I'm thrilled to help doctors. That's what I do. I don't want you to get into a non-compete battle that you can't get out of. So reach out to me anytime, even just to ask me questions about future issues that we can put on podcast episodes. So I'd love to hear from you. Amanda, thank you for answering my questions. Non-competes can be tricky. To our listeners, a link to email Amanda is included in the podcast episode description. To claim CME for this episode, just click the link to the TMA Education Center and follow the instructions on the CME to go description page. We hope you found this episode beneficial and watch for next month's episode in this series where Amanda will give guidance on dealing with difficult patients and disruptive physicians. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well. <music>